bandwidth for JS Party is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Fridays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time. Head to changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Hey, welcome to JS Party. We're at the party every week with JavaScript. I'm going to say that every time until Alex's head explodes. All right. Uh, so today we're going to dive right into it. We're going to talk about uh, PWAs. We're going to talk about uh, Glitch, which is Jen Schiffer's new thing, who's the best person in well, the world. Um, it's not, it's, it's not and we're going to talk a bit Jen. about everybody's Chill. favorite part of JavaScript, the date object. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So, so kick it off, uh, PWAs. So, so progressive web applications. Uh, this is a term that gets thrown around all the time. It's a term that I don't think anybody actually understands what it means. Um, so, R- Rachel, based on your interpretation of what this means from maybe Reddit threads or tweets or headlines of things, what what do you think progressive web apps are? What's that interpretation like? Um, so, first of all, I would never read anything about programming on Reddit. <laughs> um Second of all, I don't know. I don't know any. I literally know nothing, even though I've seen people talk about it. And so my interpretation of what a progressive web app is, is just taking the name and assuming that it's not about it's not it's not an application that deals with politics that have advancing views. Um, It's socially liberal. Is it like (laughs) it's not conservative web applications? (laughs) Exactly. Is it? Um. Is it an app that like progressively gets better? Like, is it something that you improve on over time or is it something that like, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what it is. I First would step say... to shipping a progressive web application is you just ship a white screen. You tweet it out and that's your application. And then you're like, boom, a button. It progressively got better. And then like next <laughs> week, boom, three buttons. Better still. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three buttons are always better than one button, no matter what it is. No matter what the use case, you need three buttons. So what what are the enhancements then? Like, what is it doing to, like, tell me, obviously it's an application, but I want to know, like, what is the progressive part and what is the enhancement part? And, like, what does it take in order for it to be, like, categorized as this thing? Cool. So we'll start with your second question, which is what is the enhancement part? And I'll answer that by saying no one said the word enhancement until you did. Uh, I think you're getting that confused with uh, progressive enhancement, which is actually oh, pretty right. Related. I am. So you're not you're not uh, way out of line there. But so uh, wait, so wait a second. So progressive <laughs> enhancement and progressive web applications are two completely different things. Uh, n- n- <laughs> they they <laughs> are. Mm, this is a this is a loaded question. I love they that we're looking at Alex things, like it's his fault. They like are, he came up with this. They are not. <laughs> Uh, they're absolutely in the same vein. They kind of come from two oh, historically different uh, places. So progressive enhancement, would those be enhancements that are made progressively? <laughs> and then a progressive, <laughs> I don't know, just tell yeah. me. <laughs> so, so it has less to do with the development cycle, which is like progressive enhancement for a development cycle would mean like you're fixing bugs and making things better over time. Progressive enhancement generally implies that uh, You're doing you build a web application that works on the worst browser, and then as browsers support features, then you can make the experience better. You can enhance the experience progressively based on those feature tests. Uh, it's kind of the idea that like your website, like progressive enhancement, the word comes from like the battle days when like twenty percent of the internet disabled JavaScript, right? So the whole yeah like mantra was make sure your website works without JavaScript, and then progressively enhance it to like have any JavaScript whatsoever. Um, and that's kind of uh, where that term comes from. Now it has been like co-opted through each generation, I think beautifully, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, and so now progressive enhancement often implies that you're building a progressive web app, but a progressive web app is like a new term, mostly from the, the Google uh, ilk um, that I can break down if we're done doing the, uh, the guessing section. Uh, I don't wanna like, I don't wanna ruin it for anybody. <laughs> no, you can explain what it is now. That's okay. okay. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, so, 
uh, first of all, if, if you want to follow along at home, uh, Google kind of is the, the pusher behind the term progressive web app. Uh, I'm not sure it came from them, but I'm pretty sure it came from them. Um, so they have a checklist. So you can go to developers.google.com slash web slash progressive dash web dash apps slash checklist. And then there's this simple uh, like 92 point checklist. Uh, maybe it's not 92. It's like 25 or something. There's actually based on, uh, based on the simplicity of the Earl, I'm guessing it's about 92. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, it's actually not bad. It's kind of broken into sections on like kind of the baseline. Uh, well, kind of. It literally says baseline baseline and then exemplary uh progressive web apps so so before i go into this checklist uh a progressive web app is generally something that uh, is approaching uh like a native app in the sense that like it loads offline and it's fast and uh secure and uh responsive on mobile devices that's kind of like where it, where it comes from so progressive web app means that like it can work on desktop but it also can work on your phone offline um and really like the progressive enhancement that's happening here is that uh it is is michael brought it up last week is is the offline first crowd kind of this another kind of angle in the same space which is uh the the progressiveness is if you have a network then you can enhance the experience but if you don't have a network your application still like functions and works much like a native uh, often does. And so really, if you boil down to everything, um, the word progressive web app really comes from the service worker kind of uh, baseline. Uh, and you could actually do it without service workers with like old tech and uh, some magic and and some stuff. But re really, yeah. like service workers are, are what you need, uh, like to build a modern progressive web app. And then kind of building from there uh, is, is where it goes. So I can go through the checklist, but does that make sense so far? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, just for anybody that doesn't know what service workers are, um, it's basically a script that you run that is separate from the stuff on your web page that lets you have other things that you can... <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad at explaining things. So you can use it for like... Um, having that like offline loading or handling like push notifications or other things that don't necessarily need to get loaded on the DOM. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I think cool. a key thing to know about service workers is that uh, they're installed. They they don't, there's not like an install pop-up, yeah. but they're inherently like installed and cached. And then the installed service worker runs anytime that URL uh, hits. And then they're inherently also coupled with a cache object. And so those two primitives are very powerful because once I go to alexsexton.com, alexsexton.com can install a service worker. So one of the, uh, I think, most beautiful things about service workers is that by definition on the first load, you won't have one. And so it forces, like, uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, this with AMP, like they, they're trying to force people to have fast websites. But they might actually be doing the opposite in some cases. In this case, they're forcing what they want to force people is to work offline, but they don't want people to build websites that like assume uh, anything like assume like a good network connection, because once you're offline, like everything's locally cached. And so uh, kind of the most beautiful thing about service workers is that the first time you load a page, the service worker cannot run because it couldn't have installed yet. And so your your website has to work on browsers that don't support service workers at all as well as on the first load for uh, browsers that do support it. And then on that first load, you can install the service worker. And then from then on out, uh, that JavaScript can run prior to the request for the page being made. And so that, that's kind of the key ingredient there is that you now have JavaScript that can run without any network requests on, on future requests. And so what you may do is uh, say, all right, use my cache, uh, like you have a cache of, you can choose what to cache and you can choose what not to cache on, on all sorts of stuff. So I have a service worker, I load up a web page, uh, and it doesn't use the service worker the first time because I've never loaded this web page before. And then eventually some JavaScript runs and it says, okay, place this service worker onto alexsexton.com and then I reload alexsexton.com and then uh, I can say, all right, I have a copy of the main page in my cache already. I'm just going to capture the network request and cut it off and not let it actually go out to the web and just return what I have. Uh, and then I'll actually go ahead, uh, if I have a network connection, I'm gonna go see if there are any 
updated, like does Alex have a new blog entry? And if he does, then I can uh, kind of like put a little thing on the top that says there are new entries uh, here, or I can, uh, you know, or just immediately pop it in depending on the experience or something like that. And so the idea is that data that you already have, requests that you already have can immediately be loaded. Um, and then the anything new and updates uh, can can come in secondarily. And, and you can kind of manage that as is required uh, by your application. Does that make sense for service workers? Yes. Uh, yep. Cool. So, so, so that's service workers, which is just one part of progressive web apps. But really, that's, I think, the, the key ingredient to why this is a thing with a name. Because the rest is, is going to like not come as a surprise to, to many people. So the checklist has things like serving the site over uh, HTTPS. So you need like a good TLS cert. But uh, again, uh, service workers is important here because service workers don't work uh, on non-HTTPS sites. So you could not do the service worker thing without an HTTPS site. A uh, quick call out to Let's Encrypt if you need a, a, a free cert that updates automatically and stuff. Uh, the other thing is that it works on mobile, so you want tablet and mo like it should be responsive page. That's part of a progressive web app. So part of the progression. So it's kind of like uh, responsive plus plus is is maybe another way of thinking of progressive web apps. It's a responsive web app uh, that works like a mobile app, but also it works offline with service workers. So it works on. Uh, it works uh, like on mobile devices, and then it also works offline. Maybe not completely offline. Like you definitely need network connections for real-time chat and stuff like that. It's not like native apps don't need a network connection to do networky things. Uh, but you at least get an experience, and it can like tell you, "Hey, we don't have a network connection. Maybe find your settings and change your Wi-Fi or whatever." Cool. Uh, also, one thing that exists on Android is an add to home screen button, and so you can add metadata to your web app um, and say, allow this to be added to the home screen. Uh, and then using service workers, it can kind of add a web page as a native app kind of directly to your home screen. And then you can like click on it like an app and the URL bar goes away and all that kind of stuff. And, it's, and it works exactly like an app. That, that's on their essential checklist. I mean, it's not going to work on half of the phones in existence uh, for most audiences. Uh, so that is very good because it's not that difficult. Um, but um, again, it's progressive in the sense that like not everyone's going to be able to use that. Uh, the other things are mostly like it's cross browser. So it like still fits into web and it's fast on 3G. So you're only like loading critical CSS. Like these are a lot of things that are difficult to measure. It's just like fast is is uh, is subjective in the sense that every website is slow um, and we don't uh, we just don't agree on how extremely slow they are. But um, and then let's like fast transitions and URLs and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like server rendering gets into the exemplary area. So like there's a bunch of things you can add like that way, like, uh, you have SEO and, uh, good history APIs and all sorts of, uh, different things. But, but I think those are less important for this discussion. So who would like, who does this benefit? Like if, if a lot of it, um, wouldn't necessarily be accessible for, you know, everyone right now. Uh, who who would use this? Who would use these kind of like practices? So that's what uh, that's kind of why the word progressive is in there is that uh, that specific part isn't accessible to people with iOS devices. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't actually hurt their experience while they have a network connection. So they don't oh. have service workers or add to home screen. But when they go to the web page, it'll still be fast. It'll still be responsive. It'll still look and work exactly like it works in the other things. It just, once they have a crappy network connection or lose their network connection, it'll be the same experience they're used to across all their other websites. Um, cool. So, so it's just, a, it's progressively gets better for people with more features. Um, and, and I think iOS will catch up here. I, I mean, I like, I hate Safari for this, but like specifically service workers and some internationalization things, but uh, I think they'll eventually uh, cave here. Cool. So, I mean, the idea is just making it better for everybody. And there's not going to be a degradation of services for people that might not have access to. What right. It, it, and like, according to the guidelines, like uh, it should actually be better than the normal website because like uh, it's it's fast to load over 3G and has good caching principles even outside of uh, different things. But yeah, I, I think the the key here is that like, 
really it's progressive web apps are web apps that are really going hard after native experience. Um, I, I think that's the end goal here, even if it's not necessarily explicitly stated. It's like native really eats our lunch in some cases. And if you really nail a progressive web app, there's there's not a whole lot of different feel uh, of a progressive web app to a native app. And then also it works on the web and is of the web and like is is open and uh you know, meets all the standards of URLs and all the things that we love and 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 want to keep about the web. And so, like the the idea is, it's the best of both worlds, and it doesn't break old use cases. And so, I, I think it's noble. I think they're good, uh, actively good. I, I'm sure some of the like uh, install the home screen and stuff still has a way to go as far as like security stuff. Service workers have some security things, but like I think it's all absolutely a great direction for the web, and and kind of will help bring us into the next generation of user experiences that people expect because of the native landscape. So being that the base level here is the service workers and being that service workers aren't supported in edge yet, they're not supported in Safari, like mobile or desktop, like how much of this is like Google just kind of pushing this on everybody and how much of it is, is, is like beyond that and, and much more widely supported? Than that? Pretty much everyone has intent to ship service workers. So it absolutely benefits you to build a website with service workers now to get, you know, 40% of the people who uh, use uh, Android or whatever. Like that's not nothing. We do things for far fewer people. But as soon as service workers are turned on in these next versions of these browsers, you'll immediately reap those benefits. Um, and that's kind of like the whole point. So I, I think everyone agrees that it's still early days, but it'll be a lot longer. Uh, if you want, if you think the service worker experience is good, uh, I think Safari will implement it much uh, more quickly if there are people actually building stuff with service workers, if, if that makes sense. So it's kind of push-pull. If, if no one builds anything with it, Safari won't ever build it and the experience will be worse. Uh, but if you build it now, you're going to you're going to have to use the fallback, which is just the regular old poor network for Safari. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like an early adopter situation in the sense that it's early for Safari and late for Google. But uh, but I think for the web, this is still uh, not a whole lot of people are doing this, but absolutely you should if you can. They also have a tool called the Lighthouse tool that will like run over your app and, and give you like your uh, score against all this kind of like uh, whatever so you can search for google web developer lighthouse progressive web app and i'm sure it'll come up yeah i mean i'm just i, I feel like why couldn't we have just talked about service workers like it seems like we have a lot of like extra acronyms and and ideas but all of it most of it seems to be just be really about service workers I, i'd say it's responsive design plus service workers if that's fair Okay. And and responsive design is absolutely available on pretty much every platform. It's key that like like mobile is the reason for all this. Like people have solid desktop connections if they have a desktop, but like there are now more phones than desktops or whatever. So I think the fact that these web apps work on on mobile, like so the full design, not just like you have stretchy divs or whatever, like your interfaces adapt to the uh like style and user experience that people would expect of a mobile device. Uh, I think that's critical to progressive web apps. Right, right. The the way that you push around data for poor networks as well and for offline is very different. Right. But it it like a lot of those offline use cases seem to be um, either like deprioritized or just not very visible in the progressive web app story. It it seems like it's just become like a shorthand for service workers um, in the meantime. But maybe as more people build offline apps, that'll become part of the story and and we just have like an early acronym here that hasn't really gotten filled out. Yeah. Someone mentioned on Twitter, uh, Dayton Lowell uh, mentioned that Safari does have add to home screen. Uh, yeah, I misspoke. It doesn't do any service worker stuff. It's just like a link to a web page. It's had that for a long time. Google actually has like a beta, like if you download one of their beta browsers or something like that, it actually says install application. Uh, there are also like things that that I've seen demoed. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they're live to where if you visit a progressive web app enough times on the Internet, uh, it like Google will helpfully say, hey, would you like to install this as an offline app on your home screen or whatever? And so it's kind of like this. Uh, it's like this beautiful world where the web becomes the app store again, like uh, the closed, you know, it's a pipe dream, I'm sure. But like 
the closed network of the app store becomes like the entire, you know, searchable web um, again, which is like how it was in the, in the early days of the web. It's like applications were just URLs and, and now that's kind of different. So hopefully we can get back closer to that. I, I think it's a noble goal. I understand people's uh, aversion to acronyms and to like naming things uh, the same thing different ways or like pushing things that are new or hard or uh, not necessary for everybody. But I, th- I don't think this is bad. I think it's net good. And, and if everyone did it, the web would be better. On that note, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into time zones. <laughs> mm. Stick around. First sponsor of the show today is our friends at Rollbar. Put errors in their place with Rollbar. Easily get set up for your application. NPM install dash dash save. Rollbar, that'll get you set up with Rollbar's notifier. You also need an account, so go to rollbar.com slash changelog. Sign up, get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. With Rollbar's full stack error monitoring, you get the context, the insights, and the control you need to find and fix bugs faster. No more relying on users to report your errors, digging through log files to debug issues, or dealing with a million alerts in your inbox, ruining your day. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Sign up, get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. And now back to the show. All right, now we're gonna we're gonna dive into um, date and time zones and this really rough corner of JavaScript. Um, so I mean, I I love JavaScript as a language. Um, it's really really great in so many ways, and in this way is really terrible. I mean, anybody who's done JavaScript for a long time or is using another language knows like how bad our date time stuff is, um, especially what what comes natively. Um, I don't know how much y'all have had to deal with this uh, or if you have any horror stories that you want to bring up right now. I'll I'll leave it <laughs> leave it open for anybody to bring that up right now if you want. Time zones? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, time yeah. zones and, and dates in general in JavaScript. Yeah, sure. I, I have plenty of horror stories that I, w- I won't tell, but I think one of my favorite tweets uh, was I was really excited for us to colonize Mars until I realized how much harder date time math would get in JavaScript. Uh, oh, my God. Support. which is very fair um i think that like even though it is something that's hard that everybody like you know everybody complains about it if you can hear the children outside yelling let me know and i'll shut my window and just sweat again (laughs) we we can but i don't think it's significant okay um i think that it's also like an interesting uh aspect of what new programmers try and utilize when they're like making a new um if they're trying if they're trying something new so like i remember someone got angry about somebody making a npm module that would just do something super simple with like a timer but i think that like new programmers just are like this is something that i understand as like a construct being time and they want to be able to I don't know, manipulate it with this cool new language that they're using. But that's probably why a lot of the date time stuff sucks, honestly. Yeah. It's a lot easier to understand once you realize that time is a flat circle. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So beyond that, um, I I think that there's there's some real complexities in working with date time and working with time zones. Like in the mid 2000s, I actually worked on calendaring standards like with uh, at CalConnect and, you know, on like the CalDAV scheduling standards and stuff like that. So it like I'm very aware of like the complexity that you're trying to deal with. Um, JavaScript happens to have one of the least kind of uh, sophisticated and built out date time objects. So it doesn't help you very much. Um, And I mean, since really the early 2000s, like um, we've been building these third party date time like libraries to deal with a lot of this. And one of the problems that we continue to run into is that these are some of the largest libraries that you have to include. Like Moment.js is really good. Like it does a lot of really good stuff, but it's huge. And it's not huge in a way where, oh, that should be a small module that does one thing. It's like all of the logic to do one of these things. It, it's like 90% of that is required for doing the other thing. And it's just not, it's like, it, it really, it defies a lot of the abstractions and a lot of the modularity that we like to talk about. You want us to agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w- okay, I want you agree. to say, yes, Michael, agree. you're right. Yes, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Seems fine. Go on. Um, no, but so a funny story though. So when, when I used to work on calendaring standards, um, 
a lot of different standards bodies were trying to standardize time zones, right? Like trying to come up with some kind of standard. And one of the problems that you continue to run into is that if you think about time zones as like this logical thing that you can just go, oh, well, you know, this, you know, this GPS coordinate, you shift off that way or, or this way, or, you know, in this time zone, there's some kind of rationality about when these offsets happen. Um, you'll never get anywhere. And, and every attempt to standardize it failed. And essentially there was this one guy whose last name was Olson and he maintained this thing called the Olson database, which was literally like a a flat text file that had every time zone adjustment that ever happened. And if you, if you go through it in what? Easy data. Now it's called TZ data. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. But, but like back then it was called the the Olson database. And if you look through it, you can realize why it kind of defied logic because there's stuff in there like, you know, new dictator takes over this country, adjust time zone by 15 minutes. And so within this like arbitrary geographic border, there's literally adjustments like that. Like you'll probably see this, like, like if, if ISIS ever gets like its own country, one of the first things they'll do to prove that they're a country is adjust their time zone. It's just a dickhead thing to do that. You know, that they'll end up doing. Yeah. That's why ISIS is a dickhead. Time (laughs) zone manipulation. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are 30 minute and 15 minute offset time zones. Uh, and then there are some people who don't abide by daylight savings, like certain states, uh, or smart state. Yeah. Uh, so like is, is definitely not like something that's figure outable by any programmatic means. It's just like you need all of the data hard coded. Yeah, and even DST is standardized. Like, <laughs> DST is just like a, an an extra offset that you do sometimes that you have to like map for. It's really annoying. Um, and so yeah, so now we have TZ data, but loading all that data like takes a while. Like, it's not you know like it's one of the things that makes these libraries so big is that they have to load all that time zone data. Um, so it'd be really great if like the browser included that time zone data or included a better time zone object. Well, Michael, or... <laughs> I have some yeah. good news for you. <laughs> yes. Last tell me. week, uh, my project of the week was Intel. Uh, there is Intel date time, so there is some uh, motion here for what it's worth. Yeah, and there's a new standard too. Um, that uh, four hundred two. What is? What is it? Um, uh, I think it's temporal, right? Yeah, it's called temporal. So uh, Maggie Maggie Pint, who's done some work on Moment JS, um, is is keenly aware of how annoying the situation is. Um, and has a new proposal that's going to go to the next CC39 meeting um, for a temporal object, which is um, closer to, to some of the stuff that they have in Java and some of their newer languages. A temporal object? Yeah. So if you read the standard, it essentially introduces two new types. So it introduces what's called a local time or local date time. And, and a uh, zoned date time. So a zoned date time obviously has a time zone attached to it. And a local date time is what you used to call a floating time. Th- this is one of the places where um, scheduling gets really, really crazy. Because you have, you know, even with time zones, you can essentially take a, a date time with time zone offset and then figure out what this numeric value is, right? Like there, there's a number associated with it that you can, you know, move around and you know, you know, numerically, like if it is greater than or less than or within certain boundaries. Um, but then you deal with floating times and floating times are, are a real pain in the ass because uh, it, it's literally a time somewhere. Um, you know, it, it should map to whatever you want to apply a, you know, localized daytime object. So a, a good example of this is like, you know, if you want to say um, a particular day is like a a holiday globally, it would be that day from the beginning of that day to the end of the day in whatever time zone anybody happened to be in. So it would be a floating time. Um, but that means that it doesn't map to any kind of alphanumeric, which is really hard. Yes, Michael. <laughs> it just sucks. It's really painful to deal with. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, yeah. So you're saying the solution is just wait uh, till it goes through all the stages of TC39 and then gets implemented in the browser and then like, boom, five years later, we got good natives in the browser? Well, so standards don't just 
make it through the standards process. Like they need help. Um, so what are the the goals in bringing this up here is to, you know, if you're interested and have had like, you know, a painful time dealing with daytime objects or have any kind of experience, it'd be really great to get one, your input on this standard, like it's on GitHub, it'll be in the show notes. Um, but also, I mean, if, if you have any connections into the standards bodies to help this kind of stuff move along, um, the more people that kind of pitch in and help to push it along, the better. Um, because really no, nothing happens in standards if one person is pushing it. So I have a question, a weird question. Um, actually, it's not a weird question. Um, we'll see. So I guess this might just be me being naive, but like, can't people just have like time being shown for themselves relative to like uh, where they are in the world? Or I guess there's too many um, there's too many different use cases for people needing date and time for it to be that simple, huh? Well, the, the big one is that like when we scheduled this podcast, all three of us are in different time zones. And so I can display a time to you that says 3 p.m., but somewhere we have to know what those offsets mean in relation to each other in order to block out the same amount of time to this podcast. Otherwise, it's going to be like, you know, you're going to be on here by yourself and then Alex would come on and then I would come on. Right. And True. like as I joined, I was actually exiting the Earth at half the speed of light. Uh, and so time... It was moving more quickly for me. <laughs> Slowly. Sorry. So what are what are ways that like some other languages handle it better? Like the one the one that I can think of off the top of my head was just like whenever I used to do a lot of WordPress stuff and you wanted to have the like PHP snippet in your footer so that people knew what year your arbitrary copyright was like that was too totally easy to do. What are some other ways that like other languages handle it that you like that you know of i think uh it's less important to know what other languages do sorry that was maybe a rude way to answer your question but i one of the key differences here is we have to ship this data to the browser a lot of times and so like i think a lot of languages like php uh, uh it's been a while since i've done php but I don't think like the natives there are like so amazing compared to JavaScript's native stuff. Like maybe they don't get the weird uh, month offset versus day offset thing that we get. Oh, that's just our own special joy. But we can't ship like every last time zone and translation and uh, everything of every different thing to the browser every time because you're just going to have to ship a half a megabyte of time related things with every single web app. So I think it's very important that these become like native built-in standards that ship with browsers, cool. much like collation uh, or whatever. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's really complicated to load them dynamically. And if you send them, you know, all no matter what, then the, the JavaScript bundle size is going to be really big. And then Alex Russell is going to cry and he's going to yell at you on Twitter. Um, so you've got you to keep that down. Both of those things are just guaranteed going to happen regardless. So I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. change your behavior based on I mean, he's right, but <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah, I, I mean, other languages have, well, one, they actually do have better time zones built in. A lot of them do. Um, and, and even when they don't, it's, it's a back end. Like you can keep that stuff on disk and not really care. Hit the Linux. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, I was actually in, in doing the research for this, I, I, I was curious, like if if Olson was still just maintaining that that database by himself or not. There's just recently a change, wasn't there? Like a copyright issue with that or something like that too. Yeah, some... yeah. So so in 2011, like he got sued by somebody, like an Atlas company, because yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they claimed that he was using something from their Atlas. And um, the the end result is that like the EFF got them to drop their lawsuit, but um, he put it into ICANN after that, so that he wouldn't be personally liable right. anymore and getting yeah. sued. Donate to the EFF everybody <laughs> yes exactly um so now it actually is in a standards body uh, which is good hopefully we can see you know an easier path to getting it uh, everywhere and in, in stuff by default so this is this is only a slight tangent but i always i i really liked the arc of the moment js project i think it is kind of a beautiful arc like tim tim arwood starts moment js as like a pretty new javascript developer and he's like hey i see this like the need for this all the time. And like, you could even see him get better as a JavaScript developer over time. And like the first internationalization efforts were all like community sourced in like a pretty weird way uh, in that, like I could verifiably tell you that 
you know, like 20% of them were kind of wrong. Like someone Google translated like half the languages or whatever, but uh, like it grew and grew. And like the, obviously the size of the project grew because it's a complex, hard problem, but also like the code base became better and better and better. Like as more people started depending on it uh, to the point where like it became a self-sufficient project without Tim and had a lot of community support. And then like as more primitives and natives and uh, like different, more specific modules come out, it's seen less usage and less like contributions and stuff like that. But it like, it also got donated into the jQuery foundation and like is now ha- like has the long-term support there. Like, and so like the whole arc of the project was, uh, I thought like a very good example of like, people coming together and, and doing open source and like making the web a better place. Um, just makes me happy. <laughs> yes, Mike. Yeah. Moment is fantastic. Um, it, it, it's really good for creating human readable, um, date times in your applications. So everybody out there listening, if you're, if you're working with this and you need, uh, you know, to display nice text about, you know, what's going on, definitely use moment JS and don't try to write your own thing. Please, please, Please don't write your own thing. Please. You'll you'll anger people and then they'll complain about it. Yeah, it's it's just one of those problem spaces that is really easy to underestimate. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Well, I mean, it's a concept that like is ingrained into your like being as a human. So you would think that you understand it enough to be like, oh yeah, I could totally make something, but it's way more complicated than just being able to like look at a clock and count. <laughs> and like most things, it's the people that make it difficult, right? And governments that make it difficult and complicated. All right. So with that, I think that we've we've maybe uh, beaten this horse to death a little bit. Uh, we'll probably take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Glitch. Yay. Hey, friends, I'm dropping the background music on this break because I want you to completely focus on what I'm about to tell you. I want to tell you about our friends at Hired. We've been hearing lots of great things about them and their process to help developers find great jobs. So we reached out to them and guess what? They were excited to work with us and we partnered with Hired because they're different. They're an intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract jobs in engineering, development, design, product management, and even data science. Here's how it works. Instead of endlessly applying to companies hoping for the best, Hired puts you in full control of when and how you connect with interesting opportunities. After you complete one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests, upfront salary information, and all this will help you to make better, more informed decisions about your next steps towards the opportunities you'd like to pursue. And the best part is Hired is free. It won't cost you anything. Even better, they pay you to get hired. Our listeners get double the normal $1,000 hiring bonus to find your next chapter on Hired. Head to Hired.com slash changelog. Don't Google it. This URL is the only way to double that hiring bonus to $2,000. Once again, Hired.com slash changelog. And now back to the show. All right, let's, let's jump into it. Got a new project of the week, Glitch. Uh, this is the first project that wasn't like just an open source GitHub repo. This is actually like a, a slightly larger project for learning. Um, Rachel, why don't you tell us a bit about this? Sure. Um, Glitch is the site that is from um, Fog Creek, and it's really, really awesome, um, especially for like pair programming. So what it is, is it's a coding environment that is similar to, you know, like uh, if you were if you've used any like web editors, like the the CodePen one or JS Fiddle or anything of that sort, Glitch takes that and then like takes it to the next level that is like super awesome extreme level where you're able to build web applications um, in Node with, you know, a front end and a back end. All of the, the structure is totally there. And then you can run the app in the browser. But wait, there's more. It gets better. You can either um, use it for live coding to be able to show people what you're working on as you're working on it. It's like real time. Um, or you can Twitch. have it be... Uh, real time and collaborative. So if, you know, 
one situation that I could like see this being useful for is like, I'm not very good at backend things. So if I'm like working on something and I'm stuck, somebody would be able to like jump into my app and I would be able to see what they're doing um, while they're doing it. So like the possibilities are seriously endless for the ways that people are going to be able to use this to help further people's learning, to help do like collaborations on projects. It's people are going to be able to like work on really cool things without having to be in the same room or without having to necessarily rely on um, having GitHub repositories with different branches to work on stuff. Um, but then it gets even cooler because if I'm like trying to learn something, I can go to, um, let's see, I'll go right now. Glitch. I spelled glitch wrong, which is... <laughs> What what seems to set this apart is really like the focus on education. Um, like yeah. I've seen a lot of like collaborative editors and web editors and stuff and and all that, but this is like really focused on teaching people. It's super focused, and there's like it's broken down. It's it's still in the beta right now, so it's not like hugely open to the public while they're still trying to like feel out some things. But if you go into the site, you'll see that there's um, different like curated collections of apps where you can go to like hello worlds for certain things or games or hardware projects and bots. So you can go in and be like, oh, wow, this is a really cool, you know, uh, Slack slash command like we use for the how much time is left uh, until JS Party is going to start. And if I wanted to make my own, I could click on that, hit remix my own, and I'd be able to see a whole entire um, code base of it already working. And then I could just tweak it to, like, fulfill the needs that I have. And it's it seems really nice. I like uh, one of my favorite favorite is hottest takes on it uh that i saw on the internet uh, was uh that it's kind of like a next generation like geocities or neopets or whatever you grew up with uh members.aol.com tilde username uh where like people could like very easily get going based on like templates and then there were endless like tweakers and copiers and all sorts of stuff it's, it's like where half the people I know got started in web development was like trying to style their MySpace page or their Neopets page or, or something like that. So I think this has a lot of potential to f fulfill some of that stuff, but at a larger level. And I, I like that take a lot. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is also really great about it is um, I might be biased here, but uh, Jen Schiffer left Boku to join Fog Creek to like head up uh, working with community stuff and working on glitch to help make it better. And I know that she cares a lot about, you know, teaching people and having code be more accessible, um, and really just like getting people to make more stuff. So, uh, I think we have her and she's going to tell us more about glitch. Okay. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me. Rachel, uh, Rachel described glitch really well. Thank you, Rachel and uh, Michael and Alex, all of you for having me. And uh, I'm not very uh, articulate about stuff because it's been a really busy week here at Fog Creek with launching the rename of Glitch and launching our sort of Glitcher API, which is like kind of like a partnership thing. Um, and also just talking to a lot of people about how um, we're sort of doing things differently than a lot of other in-browser uh, IDs do and that's focusing around uh the community around the product first uh and focusing also like on education we really want to make like an application that is for everyone um developers and non-developers who want to have access to becoming a developer alike and so yeah it's been exciting in the past few days sort of launching a bunch of stuff um, we did a thing with slack with like a new uh link unfurl app unfurl endpoint they released so i build something for them i've been following what people have been building with glitch i've been doing some live coding and just seeing uh the kind of things that people want to make and haven't really been able to so easily because they might not necessarily know how to uh do devops stuff you know getting things on the internet i i know that when you all launched this officially on monday i was super excited because I could just like think of so many times in my like professional career when I didn't necessarily uh, understand something that this would have been super helpful for me to, you know, uh, brainstorm something and have it work 
as I code and have people help me. Um, what, what's some of the feedback that you've been getting from people that have gotten to mess around with this so far? Well, I've seen a lot of people who, um, have wanted to, you know, they've had ideas or a lot of like, you know, the maker movement, there are a lot of people who want to do stuff with like code now, but they're not sure where to start. Um, and for, me, when I was building uh, web apps and consulting, one of the first things I would start is, you know, deploying a server and getting everything installed onto it to set up for whether it's like a node app or a PHP app and stuff like that. Uh, and that's like really hard. And when I want to like teach people how to code, like I can't really start at, you know, setting them up with like AWS and, and stuff like that. And um, I'm already getting feedback from like educators who are like, oh, I can like use this to teach my students. I could start up a new project, a new like simple web application, have them remix it to, you know, add their own stuff to it. Um, and then we also have a multiple user collaboration uh, and even more really cool new features that aren't even out yet that are coming out soon uh, that I think will make educators really happy and also users who want to collaborate with their peers uh, really well. So, so far, so good. I mean, people seem to be enjoying it and we've been really like following tweets about it and talking to people and we're out there listening and watching uh, what you're all saying. So watch your back, Alex. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, <Jen. laughs> so so fog creek does a lot of like different cool stuff like what what made them want to get into this like educational stuff it's really cool well so the project started out a couple years ago um, my teammate daniel sort of came up with the idea um, and he got the opportunity with prejean who's a designer developer also here to sort of flesh out this in-browser IDE. And I guess like through time, it just organically became made sense to not just focus on an editor in the browser, because again, there's lots of those, but focus on like how this can stand out and what we can do to not only stand out, but also um, help like improve the culture and tech. So starting out with community as a focus is a re really big thing, I think. Um, usually like community and moderation, all that sort of stuff is an afterthought. And we've experienced many times in uh, our industry how making inclusivity an afterthought can lead to disaster. And so we're trying to not let that happen. Yeah, that's sort of what the focus does. And then it just makes sense because everyone wants people to have the ability to learn how to code if they want to. I don't know why anybody would think otherwise. And so you know, education as a focus is like the clear path to uh, making that the case. It also seems like it's a really good environment for people that are curious about wanting to try out more kinds of creative coding, but um, might not necessarily know how to do a lot of things besides just experimenting with a with a language and now that they can like make an application and see it right in front of them is really cool too. And then people could like instead of having to, this is like solving the problem of like somebody not open sourcing something, but you would just like view the source of their site. So now you don't have to. Yeah. You know, when, when I was learning how to program, when I was learning how to make websites and stuff, I was viewing the source of everything and I was copying and pasting this language called JavaScript and things weren't working and I wasn't understanding like script source. Like I was just pasting JavaScript from a library that I hadn't like embedded yet and learning like the hard ways I go through stuff. But that was like a challenge that really got me into programming. And nowadays the culture, like a lot of people who are new to development or just are younger don't remember weren't part of the whole like view source aspect of building. Um, and we're building applications and stuff with frameworks that, you know, obfuscate like, you know, when you look at the source, you don't see exactly what's there. And so people aren't learning in that way, which is fine. That's not saying that frameworks are, are bad. It's just that if you want to teach people how to program, you really can't give them like a React or Ember app and say, learn how to, how to build your first web page with this as an example. Um, and not only that, but if you want to teach node, you know, you can't view the source of, of a node application and glitch allows you to view the code of the application, both the front end and back end files. And I think that's pretty neat. Um, you'll be able to now like in the browser, see how the, the actual guts of the application work. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's also cool that you're making it a lot easier for companies that have APIs to be able to like, 
say that they want to be a part of this and to encourage more people to, you know, try and work with the API? Because don't you have like the partnership with Slack now where people can um, more easily and accessibly make Slack bots and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so with Slack, they're like good friends of ours. And for their uh, app unfurl launch on Wednesday, uh, we worked with them to make sure that we had, you know, some cool apps uh, available when the announcement came out. Uh, so I made a, an app unfurl that when you post, if you install the app and you post glitch project links in your Slack channel, it will unfurl to have links to view the code, remix, and uh, run the application with a description of what the app is, just like a richer like experience within Slack if you're into using Glitch. Uh, and we wanted to make something that was like, okay, this exists. This is a new endpoint that's available. If you want this for your company, just take my app and remix it and update, you know, the good stuff, uh, you know, the part that comes through the unfurl with what you want, and then you're like good to go. You don't have to worry about rolling your own Slack OAuth and all that other fun stuff that we developers love to do when we have deadlines. Uh, and yeah, so that's like another like case where it is, you know, our community page, we have a lot of building block apps uh, that you can remix off of and build your apps onto it to save you time. And that's another thing I think that we've been taking for granted, you know, from, from the past is like, one of the tenets of, of programming and software engineering is code reuse. And this makes it easier to reuse code. Uh, and yeah. Cool. It's kind of like copy pasting code, not really reused, right? I think in a, in a absolutely necessary way, but. I mean, I think it's reuse. Uh, even if you're copying and pasting, you're still reusing something that somebody <laughs> yeah. has written before, you know? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I was just be being a jerk to Jen because uh, I'm a jerk. The uh, Jen, it's nice to meet you for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who I actually have to go, but I had one question. Uh, how much did you guys uh, find inspiration from the the Best Buy Remix API? The Best Buy Remix API. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not familiar. <laughs> oh, very surprising. They had a lot of actually uh, some of these ideas, but uh, that was uh, also a failed joke. Uh, which is why brings me to the next point: is I'm being kicked off the podcast. Uh, Jen <laughs> now the third host. Um, so <laughs> I hope you have better luck, uh, but I really actually have to, uh, run, but uh, it was buy. nice talking to you, Jen. Hey, thanks for having me. No, that's fine. We'll be making a permanent replacement with Jen Schiffer now. <laughs> so <laughs> goodbye, Alex. Uh, <laughs> Jen, I hope you have a pick for our picks in a minute, but, <laughs> uh, well, it is March madness, so I'm sure she has plenty of picks. Um, but back to glitch, um, so, like, what is one of the, like, coolest things that you've seen somebody make that wasn't involved, you know, on the original, uh, I guess, somebody that doesn't work for GoMix that has jumped in since Monday and, like, went in and made something? Like, what is your favorite thing that you've seen? Um, so, uh... Let's see. Let me let me think. There's been a lot of stuff. Somebody tweeted at me uh, today this cool uh, pixel art color uh, analyzer. It's like all these like visualizations where you like add an image and it analyzes all the colors and stuff. That was really cool. Uh, people have been sending me um, example uh, apps with things that they've been working on at work. Uh, Marco Kasmari has been sending really cool stuff. Uh, I think some of it uh, involves uh, might have involved service workers. Um, what else? What else has people been making? Uh, I've seen some cool like weather uh, dark skies API apps, and that's like a really cool thing that we've been trying to drive is like using this as a tool to prototype stuff with with APIs. And we've got some cool uh, features coming out in the future about that, especially with different. Uh, other like companies that we're working with to get them uh, closer to users who want to use their uh, APIs. And yeah, there's just been a lot. It's been quite a whirlwind this past week. So I haven't had a, a chance to like sit down and like list everything, but that is something we're doing. And as we are finding cool stuff, we're curating them at glitch.com, our community page. Uh, so you can see some of the interesting stuff that we've got there. We've got like bots, we've got learn to code tutorial stuff uh, and even more. Cool. So like, 
are you wanting places? Well, I mean, like, is the, is a future goal to be able to get like integration with companies that have APIs that would maybe need a like token or it might cost money and then be able to have like an integration where people can try it out without having to deal with any of that stuff? Yeah, I think that um, when you have when you have an API that you want users to use, one of the barriers is that the user first has to set up their environment to to use it, uh, and and Glitch sort of takes that barrier away. So if you're like a, a, a company and you want developers to use your stuff, we can help you out. Um, we launched uh, our sort of partnership kind of uh, thing. It's called For Your API. So if you go glitch.com slash For Your API, you can learn how we can help you out. Um, we've got, right now the site's completely free, but in the future, we're going to have some uh, premium features that will get you even closer to developers and, and helping them out. And really, part of my mission is making it easier for uh, anybody to program whether it's just hello world stuff or even more ambitious things. Uh, and so if you want to be a part of that, um, I would ask you to reach out to me or tweet at glitch uh, and we can help you out with that. Cool. Whether you're a company or individual developer. Awesome. Um, do you have anything else to say, Michael? <laughs> Are you there? Well, Michael, left I was too. muted. I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That happens too often. <laughs> It's amateur hour over here. Um, so I think we'll, we'll get into picks now, uh, and I'll go. I'll go first so that Jen has some time to think of something. Uh, oh, Jen, why don't you tell her what we're, what what a pick is? Pick is like anything you want to talk about. Literally anything. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be code. Although many of them have been code in different projects that we want to highlight. But it just me. Like my. So my pick this week is not code. Um, so a lot of people who follow me on Twitter see all the amazing bread baking that I'm doing. Uh, but also I'm just doing other kinds of fermenting all the time. And, uh, those don't get posted on Twitter cause they look grosser, um, than, you know, beautiful, freshly baked bread. Uh, but the, what my pick is this book called wild fermentation by Sander Katz. It's one of like the best books on fermentation uh, out there. And he also wrote this m much bigger book called the art of fermentation, but wild fermentation is like a book that you could just pick up and flip through and see like awesome things that you can do at home real quick to ferment in different foods. And, um, it's like, it, it, you have to think of it as like a, another form of cooking, basically, like you're completely changing the, the flavors and everything going on. So that's my pick. Check out wild fermentation. Okay. Uh, my pick for the week is going to be a repository that is a compilation of a bunch of companies that do not whiteboard you. Um, there is a user on GitHub who is Potato, I think is how you pronounce it. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's, it's really great because I think that uh, a lot of... Wow. Um, I think that... a. Oh, it's a siren. I thought that was a yelling child. Hold on one second. The cops are coming for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so apparently the NYPD has even more serious opinions on whiteboarding than I do. Um, actually, though. So, yeah, th this is a whole list of companies that don't whiteboard. Um, it's like a big source of a lot of anxiety, especially for um, people that are just starting out in their dev career to be able to like have to do all that stuff on the spot. Um, so I just posted the URL, um, well in the wrong channel, it's right there. Uh, it's super helpful and it even goes down to like, um, not only just hiring without whiteboards, they link to a site called they whiteboarded me and it lists companies and it says what kind of uh, whiteboarding tests do they do? Like, do they make you do live coding? Do they make you do pair coding with somebody? Is there a coding challenge? Do you have to like do tree things? Do you have to like, it's, it gets really intense. So it's super uh, informative for people that may be looking to switch jobs or are looking for a job for the first time. Awesome. Jen, you're up. Oh, so I could pick like anything. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. Cause I have, I think I have a uh, three things, three quick things. One discovered Greek yogurt this week plain greek yogurt with like granola and that's like been a game changer great source <gasps> of protein um full fat? Full fat did you have it low fat full fat's the best oh full fat did you have it at the wing no oh yeah 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 i did yeah it's so good yeah 
The Wing is like a good pick. The Wing is a, a women's uh, social club in New York. Um, Rachel and I are members, and it's been a really great space full of really awesome, ambitious women doing really cool stuff. Um, it's essentially like a co-working space, but it's like really nice. And people typically think that if you get a group of like a bunch of really successful women together, you know, there's like hundreds of us, that it would be like very catty. But everyone is so nice and welcoming, and like it's like a really great time. And I'm like, how do we make the rest of the world like this? Um, and then uh, another pick is uh, I'll post this in the Slack channel, but there's this tweet by this guy whose his name is Splenda Daddy, um, who post- <laughs> he posted a picture of a, a chameleon that he tried to draw from memory, and the tweet just said I started crying in class because I tried to draw a chameleon from memory, and just the picture of it is um, it just makes me cry as well, and so I'm posting that link in the Slack channel. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, those, those are my picks. <laughs> Please like, and subscribe <laughs> on, on that yogurt tip. If you want to make your own yogurt, check oh out wild God. fermentation. Oh, I used to, <laughs> I used to make my own yogurt all the time. Um, my, I, I used my, my former partner, uh, had ulcerative colitis and there's a time where he can only eat yogurt and he couldn't have anything store box that had sugar. And so, um, I would be making yogurt, uh, almost every day. It's a very, it's a painstaking process. The temperatures have to be just right. And there's a lot of, uh, different steps to it, but yeah. Oh no, no, no. Here's the trick. Sous vide machine. You just pl- oh, yeah. do the sous vide <laughs> Everyone, and then stick it in the bag every- and then, yeah, yeah. It would be perfect temperature the whole time. That's great. So, so I'm speaking at conferences again. Now I think I'm going to do like a making yogurt using jQuery because 3.2.0 <laughs> is out. jQuery 3.2.0 is my other pick and that's it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. That was, that was the best. Those are our best picks so far. Uh, so thank you everybody for coming. Uh, definitely rate us on iTunes. Uh, rate us on everything. Follow us on uh, Twitter, JSPartyFM. And that's it. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for this episode of JS Party. Tune in live on Fridays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. Join the community in Slack with us in real time during the show. Head to changelaw.com slash community. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rollbar and Hired. Also, thanks to our bandwidth partner, Fastly.com and Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.